the government's giving you essentially free cash. Growing your wealth is not just about getting your money to work for you. It's also about keeping as much of it as possible. By now, you'll have got to know T a little bit. That's kind of when I first learned about budgeting. And then when I started getting paid, I took none of that on board. <laughs> as you can tell, he's not that clued up on basic personal finance. So we've brought in your money.com editor, formerly of Money Saving Expert, Paloma Kubiak, to explain the first place you should be thinking about putting your money to work in the UK. ISIS. They're vital, but not as simple as you might think, so... Go make yourself a cup of tea, because there's a lot to take in. I've been trying to convince him to get an ISA for the whole time I've known you. He's recently had a baby as well. I'm going to set him up a, a junior ISA. I've probably just given you one there that you, you didn't know already. My aim today, if we can, is to really, through this conversation, convince him of why he should be using them. Because one of the things, he's, he's quite bullish on crypto, which, mm -hmm. you know... There's absolutely no tax wrapper or protection there. So show me buzzer T, come on. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> this is my, I don't know what's going on buzzer. So if there's any, He's gonna be hitting that I'm going to be smashing that when we're talking about anything technical and I get lost, I'm just going to hit the buzzer. Yeah, yeah. We're going to start by putting you on the spot T, just straight up. So the conversation is about ISAs today. And I want you to tell me how many different types of ISAs are there, name them. Junior, junior ISA. Yeah, I just gave you that one. I know. <laughs> Stocks and shares ISA. Yeah. Cash ISA. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah, okay. They're the most important ones, right? I would, I mean, yeah, it's subjective important, but I would say they're the most well used. You've got the innovative finance ISA as well, which is, is probably not used at all. You said, do you know, are there any others that we've missed there? There is Lifetime ISA. Lifetime ISA, of course. Yep, help to buy ISA. Yeah. And there's also something, um, it's called, a, well, I suppose it's flexible ISA and portfolio ISA. So... Yeah, it's quite quite a few different ISAs, I suppose. With all those different types, it, it can be really confusing. And I think a lot of people, when they first come at this topic, they see all of that and they're like, no. So could you kind of give us a one-liner of what is an ISA? Yeah, so an ISA is an individual savings account. And it's basically an account where all the money that you put in and anything that you earn in interest or growth in investing is completely tax-free. So taxman can't get his hands on any of the money that you make that's his, within these ISAs. One way that I always describe it to people on my channel is like, if you're if you're if you go for a run, you could run without a shoe on, but you, your foot wouldn't be very well protected. So the ISA is kind of the wrapper around your foot. It would never move forward by itself. It's like the shoe that protects protects you as you move yeah. forwards, essentially. Yeah, that's how we say it as well. It's mm. it's almost like a, a protective tax wrapper on on your savings. So, you know, it's it's tax-free year after year. You get an annual allowance or £20,000 in the current tax year. Children, it's 9000 So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really good vehicle for saving tax-free year after year. Yeah, and I don't think that people realise that tax is probably the biggest impact on how much you'll have at the end, or if you don't protect from tax, it would be anyway. So just to be clear, that the ISA isn't an investment. It's just an account that, that holds your money. So it helps your investment. Yeah, it protects them from tax. So it's just a wrapper. In the same way, a bank account, you put money in it. You know, an ISA, you put funds, investments, et cetera, into them. Tomaine touched on a few of the different types there. The, the ones I want to focus on initially, probably cash ISAs and stocks and shares ISAs, and then we'll look at the, the lifetime ISA and stuff as well. Is they're, they're probably, I looked at the data, I think 50% of all funds goes into cash ISAs yeah. still, yeah. 20 to 30% into stocks and shares. What are the differences between 
those two broadly, would you say? So cash ISAs, they're probably the simplest form of ISA. Um, so you put your money into a bank or building society or credit union, and you can choose between fixed or variable rates. So you might want to put money away that you can access easily, or you might want to put your money into a notice account. So say you give your provider 30 or 60 days to access your cash, or you can even put your money in a fixed term. So anything from one year to five years, if you know, you're trying to get a bit more um, interest on your money. Um, so cash, you can, um, you can actually open an account. Um, so for children, for yourself, um, and then when we come to stocks and shares ISA, that is investing. So there is risk when it comes to investing, your money can go up as well as down. But for investors, the hope is that they will beat the returns on cash. So the Investment Association, they have actually four, they say that there are 4,000 UK funds that you can invest in. And then there are also 378 companies that you can invest in as well. So it's a massive universe. You can you can invest by region. So you might want to invest in the UK or Europe or even emerging markets like China or India. You can invest by sector, so technology and healthcare. So, you know, massive areas, different regions, everything that you can invest in. Um, but one of the things is, you know, you, you need to be comfortable with the risk that you're taking with with your investing. So really they're like different tools for different jobs. Is kind yeah, of how you I'd would say see so. Them. Yeah, yeah. So with, with cash ISAs, you might want to have access to your cash within a certain amount of time. You might want to, you know, have a goal at the end of the year. Whereas with investing, it's more for the long term. So you might think about whether it's for your children's, I don't know, university or to give them a nice pot on their 18th birthday or essentially for yourself to have a nice retirement pot at the end of it as well. Yeah. And like one, one thing I've seen is that the journey is people might... They, they have a cash ISA to save up for a short-term goal. They invest through a stocks and shares ISA. And then as they approach the end, they might look to move some of that back into say a cash ISA to live off or to protect them from short-term declines in the stock market or whatever. Just to be clear as well, with a cash ISA, you're gonna get a promised fixed interest rate, especially recently the, the rates on cash ISAs have gone up. So a lot of people now see them as more attractive. I think you can get, is it upwards of five? You can get 5%, four and a half, five percent 5%. Yeah, nearly 5%. But mm. yeah, they've started to come down a little bit recently. But, you know, when you think about a couple of years ago, you were getting 1%, yeah. if, if that, on your cash. Yeah. Now it's closer to 4% on a one-year one bond. So it's really improved over yeah. the last couple of years. Whereas the stock market, the long-term average over 100 years is anywhere between 9 and 12%, depending on kind of where in the world you look in. So even though the cash ISA rates are attractive, you would hope over the long run that the stock market would outperform the equity risk premium. Yeah, definitely. Um, cash ISA is sort of the safer, the simple option. Um, but with investing, you are hoping for that growth, for that long-term growth. So Tilney, they um, they came out with, um, with their data. So suggesting that the MSCI UK index, the S&P 500, and then the MSC MSCI worldwide. In the last 50 years, 37, 37 of those years, there've been positive returns. Yeah. So your the positive returns are sort of three quarters of that time. You know, when you think about the compounding effect, then that's when you hope that your money will grow over a longer time period. These are calculations from Vanguard. 
And um, if we look at this, so over a 50 year time horizon, that's a long time. But um, if you put away 200 pounds every month and based on 5% growth um, after fees, then you could expect to have around 500,000 in your ISA, your investment ISA. But if we're talking about more modest sums, so say over a 10 year period, you put away 50 pounds a month, say that's manageable for you. Then again, after 5% growth after fees, then you'd be looking at around 7,700. So I think it really varies on exactly where where you're investing, how much growth potential there is. But you know, over a longer term, because of compounding, you would expect that pot of money to grow. You know. Sorry about that. Do you tell me <laughs> tell me about compounding? Before I, we I do, I just want to say I've been telling you to put money in an ISA for ten years, yeah, and, and you've been telling me about compounding. Seven yeah, k. Half a million K or just all you <laughs> but it's, it seems yeah. so long term, like 50, saving for 50 years. Yeah. I might not even be here in 50 years. Realistically, I probably won't. Well, so the 10 year one sounds a bit more realistic. Yeah. definitely will be here. Yeah. Uh, really? Yeah. Well, how, yeah. Do, how long are we living for? I mean, I think one, one they, they think one 10% chance of living to 100, I think I heard the other day. But I mean, yeah. average life expectancies are definitely going up. Let's just put it this way. Stats say you're more likely to be here than not. You know? okay. so I should probably, so, start, yeah, saving. Should probably, probably start saving. But you hit the buzzer, so... Compounding, that's just when you put more money in it grows quicker. So compounding is interest on your interest. So if you put money into a product, um, you're earning interest and then that amount of money which gains the interest, then it's rolling up all the time. So it's interest on interest. I think the, the thing that highlights compounding and like its power is that the chessboard and the, the wheat thing. Have you ever seen that? It's like a, a story where there was um, an emperor Chinese said, okay, I'm going to pay you for the fact that you've you've helped us win this war. And, and the man just said, all I want is a piece of wheat on a chessboard and just double it every single time for every square on the chessboard. And the emperor's like, this guy's we're gonna rip him off here because that's pretty simple. So on the first piece, there was one piece of wheat. The second, there was two. The total amount of wheat on the chessboard, I'm gonna to need to read this number out. Because of compounding, it doubles every time. It was 18 quintillion, 446 <laughs> quadrillion, 744 trillion. So you get the picture. It was a lot of wheat. So essentially the doubling effect over that period of time, even on something that seems quite small, that compounding effect can mean that the, the end result is massive. I'm not saying that people are going to be quintillionaires, but- I don't you, even know how many figures that is. <laughs> no, I, I, you should see the number. I've only been able to read it with such conviction because it's written down. But I think for me, like the, the most common thing that I get, and I feel this myself is people like, I always just wish I'd started sooner. But I think the clear message is, there's no sooner than like today and get started. And I don't want people to, that listening to think, oh, I'm 40, I've, I've missed out on all of that growth. But, you know, with compounding and the benefit, as you said, I, I saw something about if you're, if you start at 20 and you pay 250 a month in, if you start at 30, you're going to need to pay nearly double that in to, to match the growth that that 20 year old will see over the, that period through the same level of investment. Yeah, I think some of the headlines and some of the um, statistics that we find, they can be quite scary saying, you know, by the time you're 30 or 40, you need to put half your income mm. into your pension. And I think that probably doesn't, add to the appeal of pensions. And I think, you know, for everyone, you'll have different goals in life. You know, you might be saving for a property. Now we've got the cost of living crisis. You might be thinking, well, I need to pay my bills. I need to cover food costs, travel, everything. But it's just thinking about it just from almost like a mosaic. So start off with that little piece, see what you can contribute. And, you know, hopefully even the little bits will add to what you can actually gain later on. 
Yeah. So with my investing journey, when I first started, I was not in a good place financially and I was probably only saving 20 to 50 pounds a month. But it's that money that's earned the most because of the, the time component. So it's certainly not worth going, I can only afford 20 pounds, is it? Like, you know, this is really accessible for anyone at kind of any budget, really? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Just try and think about how much you can actually put away. And, you know, over time, even that 20 pound that you put in 20 years ago, hopefully that will that would have grown by now. And, you know, that it, it helps you with your journey for, you know, secure financial future. So... Where do people go to get an ISA? I know it sounds like stupid, but it's... It, I know, know this sounds a good question. Right. <laughs> it's like you, get, you, know, you, you can get a bank account at a bank. Yeah, people understand that, but yeah. where do you get a, a stocks and shares ISA? Where would I even go? Okay, so with stocks and shares ISA, you can head to um, an investment platform. So if I can name some names, so you've got the big yeah. ones like Hargreaves Lansdowne, AJ Bell, Interactive Investor. Um, you can also go to um, a ISA manager um, or an IFA or a financial advisor. And then you've got these sort of digital um, wealth managers. So you've got like like their robo-advisors. So on your phone, you can get an app. So a few different, different routes. But do these robo-advisors... I know financial advice too. Do they take some of your, do they take a fee? So fees are really important to look mm -hmm. at because fees are almost sort of the one thing that you can control when it comes to investing. Mm -hmm. You can't control the way the stock market's going. Obviously, you can pick which funds and shares and bonds you want to invest in. But when it comes to fees, it's really important because some, some platforms might charge a percentage fee, which is particularly good for those people who have slightly less to put away into their investments. Whereas some charge a flat fee. So if you've got more money, then the flat fee structure is better for you but say if you've got one uh, one platform who charges say 0.5 and another that charges one percent then obviously that's quite a big difference look at ongoing charges you want to look at one-off charges as well like trading charges um, and also exit penalties if you want to take your money out then just just being aware of all the fees that could potentially eat into your into your money yeah i think like the problem is that the fees are dressed in a way that people are like i'm not used to this kind of fee but actually it's just a, a fee for the account there's fees for the things that you put inside and then there's there might be fees every time you buy and sell i think the thing is that people need to understand that the difference between a one or two percent fee and a 5% fee is potentially hundreds of thousands of pounds over the, the course of holding a product for years. So it is, as you say, it's the one like variable that you can control. I think, you know, people are going to go, okay, I can get them from these, these managers. You could literally Google stocks and shares ISO or cash ISO or whatever, and it'll come up with the best providers. How, how much money should people be putting away? I know that's a, a hard question to answer, especially at the minute, but do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I would say that it's quite subjective. So everyone's got different incomings, outgoings, priorities. And I think it's looking through your your budget, go through your direct debit, see how much money you could potentially put away. But the one thing we say is, you know, try and have at least three to six months of your salary put away into an easy access account. You know, if your car breaks down, your boiler breaks down, then at least you've got some emergency cash to fall back on before you go down the investing route or putting your money away for a period of time. Ah, uh, like actual true story. Um, not, not that the other ones are. But, <laughs> yeah. The rest of all lies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're embellished. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so... I lost my car keys the other day because I lose car keys like 
on a weekly basis, it seems. So I was locked out, locked out of my car. And like, these are my spare sets. So now I've lost both oh, sets no. of car keys. So I call the garage and I'm like, how much? I like 400 quid for a set of keys. I'm like, it's a lump of plastic. You're rinsing me, but okay. Borrowed my Mrs. Uh, mom's car drove it down the motorway and broke down in the middle of the motorway. Like literally like oh, the car no. just cut out and stopped in the motorway. So the police come up and go, we have to get you towed out the motorway, but then you have to pay the fee for us to tow you. And then you have to pay another fee to recover your car. So they towed me to the garage and then the garage are like, now you can pay us again. <laughs> Short story, 24 hours, 1000 pounds just wow. for me, like breaking cars. Mm. And that was my emergency fund that kind of saved me in that position. Yeah. Like in a normal, I remember a few years ago that that would have just wiped me out. And yeah. you, you know, I've got my money in the stocks and shares, Isa. I can't just sell those investments and get it out instantly. I've got to pay them there and then. And yeah. having that emergency fund is just a real example of how it actually did save, yeah, save me. Definitely. And yeah, having that emergency fund. And then once you're comfortable with that, you have some savings on the side, then you can consider investing and sort of putting your money away. Yeah. And I think, you know, people hear these stats of like, you should save 10% or 15% and they get a bit intimidated thinking, you know, I think a quarter of all households in the UK at the minute are are borrowing to just pay the bills. But I think it doesn't need to be 10% right now. It's something you can build up to. And if you look at how people save, they kind of up it as they approach retirement or these goals in their lives anyway. So just getting started with even a little bit is is better than nothing. Yeah, I think that's a sort of a hurdle to overcome. You know, some people might think that they're not rich enough to invest or, you know, same with going to see an IFA or a financial advisor, but it is, it's, it's starting small. It's, it's just getting on there in the first place. And then once you've made that sort of decision and, you know, gone onto the investing side or putting money away, then that's almost like a, a mental hurdle that's kind of overcome. I, this is exactly why I hate saving <laughs> because just like you said, my car broke down, I had an engine problem two grand and then like I went on holiday in Miami two grand <laughs> yeah that was in the club no I went on holiday in Miami and then actually I was in the club I had a bit too much fun time and I was meant to catch a plane miss a plane had to buy oh, another plane no. ticket 500 this pounds. is why you hate saving this is why I hate saving because every time I'm like oh I saved a nice amount something happens and then I have to dip into my savings and then mm. you see it just drain down and I'm like oh. is that because of the savings though I don't know they're probably quite helpful aren't they? yeah yeah <laughs> it, it just feels like you always you always have a figure in mind and then no matter how much I save life just throws curveballs at you yeah and this is why like the they're different tools for different jobs like your emergency fund is solely there just to blow in oh, yeah. la or whatever you do with it <laughs> yeah. and then the the other pots like the investments you have that emergency fund to, to protect those so that you never touch them and over the course of a year two years a decade they build up to something that's really significant so can you have different ices like how many ices can you have at once yeah good question right so um there are four, essentially four that you can hold all at the same time. Mm. So that's a cash ISA, investment ISA, and I hate saying this word, innovative ISA, and also a lifetime ISA. Yeah. So um, the maximum that you can put away each year in this current tax year is £20,000. And that can be between those four different ISAs. But with a lifetime ISA, the maximum you can put away is £4,000. But you can you can transfer your money um, in between sort of stocks and cash ISAs. So as long as you stick to that £20,000 annual allowance for, for an adult, then that's, that's the rule, the main rule too. One common misconception is like you can only have one of each ISA. It's more the money in than it is the, the amount of ISAs. So I've actually got a load of stocks and shares ISAs because I've been investing for a number of years. I've opened different accounts with different providers. And at the start of each financial year, I just got to make the decision of this is my stocks and shares ISA for the year. Once I've paid money in, you're kind of committed to them for the financial year. 
the, the lifetime ISA is because the government will give you a bonus on top of it of a, up to a thousand pounds, is it for the year? Yeah, so the lifetime ISA, so that was introduced back in 2017, seems so long ago now, but it's, um, it's a savings account where you can save to get on the property ladder and for retirement as well. So it's kind of a hybrid scheme. So the maximum you can put away is 4,000 pounds a year where the government will give you a 25% bonus. To open one, you have to be between the ages of 18 and 39, but you can continue saving up until the age of 50. So if you think about from the age of 18 to 50, you can put away 128,000 pounds and the government will give you 32,000 pounds. So if you're looking to use it for a first property, there are some limits you need to be aware of. So um, it's 450,000 pounds for that property. So a few things to think about there and also lifetime ISAs can come in both stocks and shares and cash ISAs. Yeah, the, the you know, the, the property focus is, I think, the main one for a lot of people, but the, the actual long-term benefit of using a lifetime ISA that you get in up to a thousand pound a year free from the government and then invest in that, you know, and compounding that over the long term is quite, it's quite unique in its benefit there. And yeah. then tax-free at the end as well. Yeah, I mean, when, when the government came out of this scheme, they said the lifetime ISA isn't a replacement for a pension, no. but it's sort of targeting those 18 to 39-year-olds and it's a hybrid scheme between buying a property and for pension. But there, is, there, are, diff there are differences between the lifetime ISA and a pension. Mm -hmm. But if we, if we just sort of look at when you, when you put money into a pension. So say you put 80p in, the government tops up to 20p if you're a basic rate taxpayer. So that means you've got a pound in there. With the lifetime ISA, it gives you a 25% bonus. So sticking the same figures, if you put 80p in, you get your 25% bonus, which would be 20p. So you still have a pound. So they're exactly the same. But then they have, they sort of come into their own depending on if you're a basic rate taxpayer, if you're employed or self-employed and also your age. So yeah, there are a few things to, to think about. There. I try not to make that decision. I just have them all. Because oh, I just you? think, yeah, well, I just think that you kind of, the rules change around pensions, the rules change around certain things. So by having a bit in everything, you kind of just cover all of the bases yeah. and you provide a lot of flexibility. You know, pensionable age by the time I retire might might be slightly older. Yeah. So to have a pot that matures at 60, like a lifetime ISA, might be a good thing. In the same way, a stocks and shares ISA has the most flexibility in terms of I can take the money out whenever I want, mm. but it might not have the same benefits in terms of, you know, money in as a, a pension. So yeah. I think there's nothing wrong with, you don't have to sit there going, which is the best, what is going to be the best for me in 30 years. I don't know. I just spread my money around yeah, all the vehicles. I, I think that's that's right. I mean, I'm, I'm approaching 40 now and I think, right, well, let me get in before the lifetime ISA cuts out. Mm -hmm. So it's just having that, it's just opening a door just in case. And I think, like you say, we just don't know what's going to happen in the future, whether they'll get rid of the LISA or if there'll be any more pension changes. So it's kind of, you know, thinking about potential changes and sort of getting in there with any kind of scheme where the government's giving you essentially free cash. And they don't normally do that. They normally yeah, take exactly. the cash. Grab it with both hands. I think this is it. Like this is one example where there is actually a, a leg up. There is something there that is, it's, you know, free cash is a, a big word, but the lifetime ISA, there's bonuses, there's tax breaks within ISAs. And this is something that everyone can take advantage of. It's not offshore accounts in Panama or anything yeah. like that. It's really accessible. Yeah. So for us 35 year olds, it's not too late. I can get started now. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. On my, on my LISA. <laughs> Best get in that LISA quick before, before I get to 40. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you guess what the biggest learning has been from doing this podcast or even my YouTube channel? It's that the most important investment you can make is in you. 
So for me, my path to real wealth isn't through investing, it's by building this business. And that's why I'm happy that we're working with Hostinger. Hostinger help entrepreneurs, freelancers, and side hustlers with their websites. My favorite thing is their AI website builder, which helps anyone create a professional website with zero coding experience. You just describe your goal in a couple of sentences and the AI creates a beautiful looking website, just like magic. You can then customize it, use the AI assistant to generate SEO friendly text, and even use their AI logo maker. It's fast, user friendly, and of course, what I like the best is it's great value for money. You can get website hosting in a free domain from £2.99 a month. So if you want a website, then check out Hostinger. And if you use the code making money, that's making money all one word, you'll get 10% off. And I've left a link in the description for you. Before I became a creator, I was a sales guy. I mean, I love selling. It's how I rebuilt my life after some wrong turns in my 20s. I also delivered Chinese takeaways on the side, but that was more fun money so I could go out on a night without feeling guilty. Sales was where the real money was at. And one tool that I found really useful was LinkedIn Sales Navigator. It's a sales intelligence platform that helps you identify and then get into conversations with high value customers so you can drive more revenue. You can use it to look for key signals like recent job changes, so you can find buyers who are most likely to convert. And because they've got a billion people on the platform, I mean, the chances are your targets are going to be on LinkedIn. Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date, first-party data so you can get into conversations with the people that matter. So if you want to give Sales Navigator a try, you can get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash upsell. That's linkedin.com slash U-P-S-E-L-L for a 60-day free trial. I just wanted to talk about the, the investment point just because I want your thoughts because I think anyone that's kind of sat back and looked at investments over the last year or two will have seen what happened in 2020 where everything exploded and has probably now seen it all collapse. And I know there's a lot of people that have an attitude of, oh, like it's it's all really risky. You know, when we're talking ices and structures and long-term, like how, how do you kind of approach that? That's a good question. And I think, um, you know, from the pandemic, everything tanked and it just, it brought about all this nervousness from, you know, even sophisticated investors, those who'd been investing for a while as well. But we have to remember when you're investing, there is risk. It does go up and down. You can, you can never buy sort of the average fund. It's always up and down, up mm. and down. But at the same time, you know, now that things have, you know, 2022 was a really bad year for a lot of the markets. And that is actually a time that you can start investing because you're buying low. So in a way, you have to think of it, of it slightly differently. So you're buying low. There's something called um, pound cost averaging. So you put money away each month over a period. And obviously the stock market goes up and down. If you're buying low, so when the stock market goes down, then you are buying at a lower price. Whereas if you're buying high, that's something that you don't really want to do. So pound cost averaging, it's sort of taking the average across all those all those periods. I think it also just removes the decision in terms of like people sitting on the sidelines going, oh my God, when do I put my money in? When do I put my money in? If you just have a ritual where you invest on a monthly basis every month, the data shows that that's sensibly, doing that long-term is, is pretty sensible. And it just takes away that like, is now a good time to buy? Is it a bad time? There's like, always regular you just say, I get paid, I buy into the stock market and it removes that. And over the long-term, you know, you hopefully do quite well. Yeah, it takes the emotion out of investing. If you're just putting away, say, 25, 50 pound a month, you're not really thinking about it, but that money is making 
it's working harder for you when it when it's lower a lower yeah. asset price if you think of it from this perspective if i can sell you something for 10 today and you're happy to buy it and then it's worth five tomorrow and you buy it again and it yeah. goes back up to 10 even though the price has stayed the exact same overall you know in terms you've made five on on that move so consistently buying the downs in the market the, the, yeah you, well you you're averaging at different prices and you take benefit of of the rises in the market i mean through pound cost averaging you could actually make money even in a flat market if it you know oscillates or fluctuates so last year i lost this very personal i lost a zero in my net worth because i had a lot of money in crypto in the market crash from 10 to oh. zero <laughs> 10 to one 10 to one yeah so is it so it's always good to when it crashes by then Buy when it crashes and then keep buying. So the long-term trend of the stock market over a long period of time is is around 9%, 10%, you know. But if you look at the returns on any year, the actual figures are all over the show. But the idea is that when markets are down, you're buying in. As Warren Buffett basically said that the stock market is one of the only examples where people aren't happy when there's a sale on. You know, they're like, yeah. they, they, they think, oh, I'm not buying that because it's down in price. I only want to buy it when it's rising in price. But it's like, it's like Mac going or Apple going, oh, it's 50% all off laptops. And people are like, I don't trust that. Yeah. Like, I'm not having that. <laughs> you know, these, these businesses continue to provide value in the world. They're not going anywhere just because the values fall fell short. But why does that work? Because normally if there's a sale, people buy. But in investing, because when, when everything goes down, everyone gets scared. Money's so emotional and it's <sighs> in its grip on people and people only like to see the, the green it going up. Mm. They don't they can't stand back and go, well actually if we separate that this is money and just see it as a product, I'm buying what I was twelve months ago at this price for that price. I was happy to buy it at that price. Now it's it. less. I'm thinking I don't want to buy it. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any no. sense. Mm. With investing, you you do need to have a bit of a risk appetite. There will be volatility, but you have to maintain your discipline and just you know filter everything else out. So the white noise, continue with what you're doing. There will be bumps in the road, but it's maintaining that discipline, putting your money away each month or you know lump sums and just thinking about your end goal. So I just got some of my uh, audience from YouTube to submit questions and we've asked them for some voice notes. Hi, I'm Joe from Kent and I've just retired and I'm 57 and I want to start saving for my grandchildren. And my question is, can I have a junior ISA for both grandchildren? So the, the junior ISA, we, we touched on it before, is just, um, it's an ISA for children that, the guardian can set up and then contribute into, and then at 18, it becomes the child's legally, or it's it's always theirs, but it the control hands over to them. Yeah, They're a great gift because what we spoke about compounding, you can start with tiny amounts of money and you kind of get in that 18 year run up. So by the time they hit 18, they've had the effect of compounding all through that period. Yep. So with a junior ISA, you can save £9,000 each tax year. Now, they can only be opened by parents or someone who's got legal parental mm -hmm. responsibility for the child, but anyone can contribute into them. And um, so the having one junior ISA, it's, it's a bit difficult because technically, yes, one junior ISA, but that can be a mix between cash and stocks and shares. Um, the other thing to think about is... Um, 16 and 17 year olds, they can actually have both a junior ISA and an adult ISA at the same time. So potentially 29,000 pounds can be put into an ISA over those two years. The other point is with a junior ISA, you can sort of have, you can only have one junior ISA with one provider. So 
with adult ISAs, like I think you're yeah. an example, you've got previous tax yeah. allowances um, that, that you've contributed to, and you've also got this year's. With a child ISA, junior ISA, you can only have one, one pot, so it needs to sort of follow. If you want to transfer, you have to take that whole pot, so you, there's no chance of them sort of forgetting about any other allowances from previous years. Um, and then also on the junior ISA front, so as a parent or guardian, you're opening it for your child. So, you know, if you've got one child, that's one junior ISA. If you've got three children, you can set them up. Um, but it's really important that at 16, they can take over the management of the ISA, but they can't get their hands on it until the age of 18. So um, there's a lot to think about and hopefully, you know, you'll instill in them not to go spending it on a night that, out. Or... Giving me an ISA at age 16 would have been Cleo, a terrible idea. Clear with a body kit like that. So <laughs> you know, with like lights, spinning, spinning yeah, rims. subwoofers in the back. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Paint it red so it goes fast, yeah, it'll be yeah. great. That bargain, yeah. So in Joe's situation, to clarify, the legal guardian or parents would open it and, and then family members or loved ones can contribute into it. And it, it is one, but it's one per child because it's the child's eye. So it's, it's not yeah, actually it's Joe in this example. So the question would be, yeah, only one per child, but if there was eight kids, they can each have their own yeah, one. Yeah, that's right. And nine grand a year is, is quite a generous it's allowance, a isn't it? It's a amount. And also... With the ISAs, I mean, you might think that children don't pay tax on savings, but actually they do. If they earn over £100 in interest a year, then they're taxed at their parents' marginal rate going over. So that's another reason why junior ISAs, it's it's almost a no-brainer for the child because it's tax-free year after year after year. And once they do turn 18, hopefully you've got either a nice cash pot or a, a stocks and savings you know, amount, an investment amount for them. Yeah. Okay. So next up is Steve, and he's got a question about help to buy ISAs. Hey Damien, I'm Steve, 28 years old from the East Midlands. My question was, I help to buy ISAs, worth it anymore? I think this... Quick question, what's a help to buy ISA? Yeah, so a help to buy ISA is sort of the earlier brother or sister to the lifetime ISA. Um, so again, it's similar that um, you put in um, an amount and the government tops up by... Um, 25%. But with the help to buy ISA, the maximum you can put in over the course of it was £12,000. So the government would give you a £3,000 bonus. It's closed to new applicants. It closed back in 2019. But there are two and a half million people who have opened these help to buy ISAs um, and they can continue contributing until the age of 20, uh, sorry, till 2029. Um, slightly different housing limits. So with the help to buy ISO, you could buy a property worth £250,000 across the UK or 450000 in London. So slightly different from the LISA, but... It's actually fallen behind the average house price now in the time that it's been around. Because, yeah. I mean, 250 back in the day in the North was probably all right, but it's not going to get you much actually in Manchester anymore. That Exactly. And that's one of the criticisms of the help to buy ISO is that the property limit hasn't actually kept pace with been the rising yeah, yeah. for this situation. I think... You can't sort of blanket it that it's not worth it. You know, we've we've had cases where people have approached us saying, you know, I'm looking to buy a house, even with my brother, my sister, my partner, and they can't use the help to buy ISA bonus because house prices have run away. Um, so in that situation, you could look to transfer your help to buy ISA cash into a lifetime ISA, and that opens you up to buying a property worth £450,000 across the UK. Now, the thing to, to remember is that you need to be between the age of 18 and 39. Um, if, you, if you don't, um, if you need to access your money from the lifetime ISA, there is a 25% penalty charge. Now, you might, yeah, it's quite a lot. Wow. And Unless you might, you're buying the house or you're 60. Yeah. So it's like if you, yeah. So you can actually, 
If, if you pay that charge, you, you, you get out less than you put in. Yeah, it? so mm. you might think that, well, if there's a 25% um, penalty charge, then the government's just taking back its 25%. But it doesn't work like that because it's 25% on the whole lot that you have in there. So as an example, if you put £4,000 into your lifetime ISA, the government tops up with the 25%, so £1,000. And you think, oh, I want to access that £5,000. You'll actually have a penalty of £1,250. Yeah. So it's probably a good thing because it stops you from taking it out to yeah, spend the it whole on something incentive, stupid. It's yeah. kinda, it kind of does force you to, to save towards that goal. Exactly. Could you have a help to buy ice around a lifetime ice at the same time or is it one or the other? Yes, you can. Um, you can have both. Um, but the government bonus can only be used from one scheme, so not both. Ah. So, for example, if you decide to use the help to buy ISA bonus for a property and you've also got a lifetime ISA, then leave that leave that money in the lifetime ISA and then you'll be able to have it as part of the sort of retirement side of things. Um, if you can't use the help to buy ISA, then... Um, you would essentially sort of lose lose the government bonus side of, of things there if you can't use it for the you know for buying a property. So really, the, the lifetime ISA benefits are are better all the way around than the help to buy. There's a, you get a bigger bonus potentially, and there's a bigger limit on the the house price. Yeah, so um, you can put away a lot more into a lifetime ISA. There's also a bigger contribution from the government, and the the other thing is that it you can use it on properties worth up to four hundred fifty thousand. So. You, you mentioned the transferring point there, and I just want to bring that back to the ISA conversation. If we move an ISA from one provider to another, does that use up our limit? There are different rules depending on if you put money in in a in one tax year if you've got previous ISAs. So in the current tax year, you can transfer it elsewhere, and that's the, the amount that you've put in there. With previous um, tax year um, subscriptions, then you can decide whether you want to put all or part of it into a new ISA. But let's say I had 200 grand in, in an ISA, I could choose to move just a portion or I could move the whole lot and that wouldn't affect my ISA allowance for that year. I'd still have my 20 grand if You'd I still have transfer your, it between yep. providers. And every year, every tax year, so currently it's 20,000 pounds. So the previous transfers don't count as long as, well, obviously they do count, but the amount of new money that you can put in is is limited to 20,000. I think it's worth clarifying though that when we say transfer, we're talking about internal processes where you transfer, it's not, selling everything, taking your money out and then paying it back in because that's actually would just count as an, a new deposit, wouldn't it? So like with Vanguard, there's a button that's like transfer ISA and you press it and you migrate them in. Mm -hmm. You're not taking your money out. So just it like moving from like your savings account to your current account kind of. Yeah, so exactly. Like an internal transfer yeah. almost or behind the scenes mm -hmm. transfer maybe is a way to position it because I think some people listening might go, oh, well, I'll just take all my money out, open a new one and give it to them. Yeah. They're going to see that as 20 grand coming yeah. in. Yeah. And it's a really important point that if you're looking to transfer, so you found a, a better rate on a cash ISA, um, instead of taking that money out, like you might do with savings account and putting mm -hmm. it into the new provider, fill out a transfer form so they do it all for you. And the most important thing about that is that you don't lose your tax-free status because if you take your money out of that cash ISA, then you lose that tax yeah. wrapper. So make sure that you're doing this process through the transfer ISA form with the new provider and then they'll move everything over for you. Yeah, okay. So thanks for the questions, guys. We do appreciate them. I just want to wrap this up then. Maybe Teal listen. <laughs> so all an ISA is really is a vehicle that protects your money from tax long term. You know, it's a way to 
you, you park stuff in it and over a long period of time that that will hopefully grow and then you're not going to pay any tax on that which could be significant when we're talking large sums of money that we've saved over a period of time i mean is there anything that you think you need to add to the the sum up or kind of what you would say to people that they should do after this as like the one thing with ices uh, right well go make yourself a cup of tea because there's a lot to take in and then just have a look at your budget see see if there is a means for you to to start investing even that small amount just to build up your pot for later we don't know what's coming you know people are living longer as well there are question marks over the state pensions so anything that you can do now is that's the ultimate game you know just try and, and put away as much or as you know as much as you can now and i think if everyone could sit around and agree that saving for your future is a good idea then doing it inside of an isa makes sense because you're just future proofing it from tax so why not use those structures you know yeah and if you know every year you know we wait for the budget the autumn statement you think oh gosh what's going to come up in there we know that the capital gains um allowance is going to fall the dividend tax allowance is going to fall um we've also got the personal savings allowance which allows you to to earn a thousand pounds um interest if you're a basic rate taxpayer or 500 pounds if you're a higher rate taxpayer but who knows what's going to happen you know is that still going to be around in, in a few years time whereas you know the experts say um, ICEs are probably the one thing that the government won't really tinker with, whereas they might tinker with other things. So it's just having money in those different pots, in those different sort of, you know, vehicles, try and get the government bonus, put money away tax-free. So considering all of that, to try and get as much money for, for your future as possible. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you too. Awesome. Can't wait to get my ISA set up. The 35 year old one. Yeah. The LISA. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. Get that for. free, get that free 1K. Now, why the government, government need to pay me some money bag. back? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I think we did pretty well convincing T that he needs an ISA, but time will tell. If you want the key learnings and next steps from the episode, then subscribe to our newsletter in the description. You'll also find a list of the platforms I use for my ISAs. Still, here are some of the big things to remember from this episode. An ISA is a tax efficient way to grow your wealth. It allows you to invest your money in the same stuff you would anywhere, you know, like stocks and shares, but protect them from tax. So use your ISA allowance first. If you're building your emergency savings or a short-term goal, then a cash ISA could be an option. If you're investing and building wealth for the long term, like five years plus, then consider a stocks and shares ISA. If you're saving for your first home or retirement and are aged between 18 and 39, you should look into a lifetime ISA. You can have loads of different ISAs at once, like I do, but you can only pay in up to £20,000 a year across them all. The lifetime ISA has a limit of £4,000 a year. It might seem like sending your money off into all these different places is a bit complex, but it really isn't, especially if you have a good system. It takes some thinking to begin with, sure, but then it's dead easy going forwards. So next episode, I'm going to go through with you how to budget. Thanks for listening to this episode. We just want to say this isn't financial advice. Everyone's financial situation is unique. So although we can sit here and talk about the principles of managing money better, it's not advice because it's not tailored to you. If you want personal financial advice, you need to speak to an advisor. I'm Damien Jordan, and I hosted this episode with my great mate, Tamena Kerelay. The episode was recorded by Jack Hobbs and edited by Johnny Hunter. Music is by Felix Taylor. It was produced by Ruth Edwards and brought together by Will Stolomon.
Quick question for me and the Making Money team. Would you like us to come into your workplace to teach you and your colleagues more about personal finance? It's an absolute joke that we're not taught what to do with money, and this knowledge gap makes most people much poorer over their lifetimes. Take your work-based pension. Most people have no idea what the fund they're invested in does, and plenty of people just opt out altogether. We can cover whatever is most important, from the basics to complex financial retirement planning supported by qualified financial advisors who are not there to sell you anything. We take different approaches for different people in a company depending on stuff like their age or their income. If you think people you work with could benefit from financial education, then please email will at getmost.co.uk. It doesn't matter what your role is in the business, we want to hear from you. So email will at getmost.co.uk. And I've left a link in the description for you. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.